yum nub. Eat out for yum nub. I told me to be chicken. Hello and welcome to Yubcast, your Star Wars cartoon podcast. My name is Jamie, and so many people in the galaxy are born into their fates. They labor and suffer and die, unable to alter them, unable sometimes to even hope that something will change. I've lost people I've loved fighting for those who couldn't fight for themselves, who couldn't choose. You were one of the lucky ones that could, Azen, and you chose the Empire. And I'm Matt. A great leap forward often requires first taking two steps back. Uh, I wasn't sure when it was going to stop. Sorry. I uh, I did that to you a couple weeks ago, but you got me back. <laughs> I'm following the trend of, say, the, the, the trend of uh, timely quotes. Where's, which one? Where'd you get yours from? It sounds familiar, but... This is... That is um, the mentor, a.k.a. Lux Von Terry from Battlefront 2, Inferno Squad, Inferno Squadron, uh, the book. Uh, very timely then. Um, mine was also, mine was from Clone Wars, but I, I didn't want to pick something that was too on the nose, but great quote. Yeah, I looked at splitting it, but it just seemed to fit, like, all it, it, it just fit all together. In case anybody doesn't know, Lux Bonteri was uh, from the Clone Wars. Sorry, he's from Onderon, right? Yeah, he's the senator from Onderon. Yeah. His mother was a separatist senator yeah. who was assassinated by Dooku. He's in a lot of different um, episodes, and he ends up being in the Battlefront book, which is it's, it's pretty good. He's a very interesting character. Spoiler alert for the Battlefront book. Oh, yeah, Battlefront, yeah, the Battlefront 2 book. So today we're going to be talking about Bad Batch Season 1, Episode 10, Common Ground, which aired today, which is July 2nd, 2021. Uh, before we uh, get into it, we usually um, do a little banter about what we did Star Wars related this week. So Matt, what did you do Star Wars related? It is the week of the release of Wave 2 of the High Republic novels, and so I am about two-thirds three-quarters of the way through Kevin Scott's new novel, um, The Rising Storm. Right on. I just started that this uh, this morning after finishing another book of mine. And as usual, once the once the Star Wars audiobook music starts up, just chills. And I'm just like, oh, God, I love Star Wars so much. And I realize it's really just, it's the thing that just gives me comfort. And just I can always kind of count on it. I don't know, maybe like a, it's a comfort food, like a big batch of warm brownies that I can just I just feel comforted by so I was just super excited to get into the book I've I made it through the the prologue and I'm really excited to see where it goes having you know read the previous books and most of the comics yeah this one we're not going to talk about the plot so there's no spoilers for the book um, because neither of us have finished and I don't want to spoil it anything that happens for you Um, it's a very intense book though there's a lot in it and I had a really nice Twitter conversation with the author today because I got to a part, I think it was in chapter 28, where they're basically scanning ships that are entering the, the system, and one ship is doing something crazy, and they look at the manifest, and on the manifest it's a, a troupe of Jinda dancers, and Jinda dancers are from the 1985 show Ewoks. And so I tweeted at him with a photo of the page, just highlighting the word Jinda, 
And I said, uh, Devan's got snuck some reference to Ewoks in there. And so he tweeted back at me photos of Ewok animation cells he has hanging in his office. Oh, nice. Yeah, we had a nice conversation over Twitter about Ewoks. So he's a real cool guy. So I highly recommend his um, Star Wars work. I haven't read things outside of Star Wars that he's written, but he's a real fan. Like he's He's a huge... I don't mean to use the term real fan and that way, but <laughs> but he's he's a huge Star Wars guy and his I'm so glad that someone like him is writing writing these books because having a reference to like Jinda dancers and him having cells of Nirvana um Wicket in his office over his writing desk is so much fun to see. And it's, he's such a cool guy to talk to. Hey well he and I have something in common. I have uh I have a cell of uh, Wicket, Paplu, and Ouija wrestling. And I think it's actually signed. Uh, you gave it to me uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, I sent that to you as a present, and I'm, I'm glad it hangs in your office. Yes. I've not hung my cell yet, my cells yet, but I dug them out today and sent some photos to Kavan. It was just fun. It made me maybe really want to go to Ikea and buy a couple frames. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the few pieces of... Uh, Art I have actually gotten to hang up in the house. My wife kind of frowns upon um, my uh, <laughs> my style st- stylistic choices, so I, I've got a lot of uh, posters. I've got a lot of Macquarie drawings that need frames, as well as uh, some movie posters, um, like one from like the Blues Brothers that uh, I really want to hang up. But my wife's like, no. <laughs> so I have to find some place where people won't see them except for me to be able to hang them up well i hope you find a place for for the blues brothers poster that would be fun yeah it's it's actually of uh it's actually of their concert from inside the movie because it's it's a you know very you know like stylistic uh poster it's it's not of like jake and elwood it's just of the concert at the very end of the movie that they did you do any stories this week other than start uh the high republic book well i Watch the Bad Batch. I think that was it. Yeah, and then I'm watching it with the kids. Usually same day or maybe the next day, and then just you know the us randomly talking about Star Wars during the week, which we haven't done a lot lately because we're both you know super busy with work. You're busy saving the world, and I'm how oh, making my company money. Hopefully, both important things. I think we'll probably do a show when Bad Batch is over about High Republic. We tried to do one, but it didn't get posted. But we can go back through and do the High Republic stuff after the after the run of um, Bad Batch is over. All right. Do you want to go on to the review? Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the uh, the uh, people who uh, created it first. Um, so at the beginning, we usually like to talk a little bit about the production cast, writer, director. And so we have a couple of people we've had before. We have... Uh, Germisron um, Sandu, Sandu. I'm sorry if I that I butchered that. Um, he's the writer for today's show. He also wrote Cut and Runs. We talked about him early on in Bad Batch. Um, Cut and Run, I think, is the second or third episode. But he was also the staff a staff writer on Game of Thrones. Really? Yeah, he did about half a dozen episodes on that show. Which I've never watched Game of Thrones, and I know that damages my nerd cred. But I didn't have HBO, and my wife watched an episode an early episode and there was apparently a very graphic rape in it. And then she said that she didn't want to watch it. So yeah, there's, there's some scenes that are definitely kind of rough to get through, but it's, 
it's a good show for like the first uh, five, six seasons. Then it kind of drops off. Like once the um, once it became once they ran out, it of, ran out. Yeah, it ran but, out of books, right? Yeah. And George R. R. Martin is notoriously lazy. I don't think he's ever going to really finish his books. The last one was supposed to be out years ago. And so they just kind of went off his notes. And, you know, not saying that um, this, write, this writer had anything to do with it, but they, but it was kind of, they did such, the guys who created it, the D&D, the guy, I can't think of their names. They're just known as like D&D. You know, they were originally slated to work on Star Wars, but they got right. they got canned because Game of Thrones finale or just the last couple of us were just so poorly received. It was it was just it was just poorly done. It was incredibly poorly done. It's it's a, like it's actually amazing. Like in Star Wars, I can understand you can you know hate the prequels. You you could hate the um, the sequels or any of the comics or any of the other material, but you can still love parts of it they successfully made it so that like personally i don't even want to go back and look and watch and rewatch the series because i know how horrible it ends it's like basically there's this great build up to everything and it's just kind of like it's there was a uh, game that came out a while ago uh, mass effect 3 the first two mass effects were great there is the kind of game where you have to you know make decisions and the game changes depending upon the decisions you made and it's like Knights. It's made by the, um, e, uh, I think it was EA who made Knights of the Old Republic. It was very similar, where you could just go to the dark side or you go to the light side. So you would have to make all these decisions, and it culminated into meaning absolutely nothing <laughs> at the end of the third one, and people were pissed. Game of Thrones is essentially the same thing. Well, we don't we don't know if that was Gurus Rom's. Um, fault no uh, i didn't see which I, episodes he was I, a writer on but i highly uh, i highly doubt that um just a staff writer was the person who made the really big decisions uh, on that sort of thing sure um i just thought it was a cool credit for him uh in his background and then our director we've had him on before saul ruiz he's worked on every Star Wars cartoon. I went digging back into his past a little bit, and he was a storyboard artist on Hulk and the Agents of Smash, which is a Marvel cartoon starring the Hulk uh, made in the early 2010s. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Uh, I like it. I like when I find that these guys have worked on um, superhero shows, uh, and a lot of, a lot of the staff have. Um, we also have a pretty cool guest star, and since this character is the second character that speaks in today's episode, I thought if you didn't mind, I would just billboard it up front um, who the guest star is. Oh, yeah, go for it. Um, so the senator on the planet Raxus that we're going to meet in a minute um, is played by Alexander Siddig, which if you don't know who that is... Dr. Julian Bashir, chief medical officer, Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, it, it, listening to the episode, I was like, guy sounds so familiar and then i had to look it up it was like oh yeah it's bashir it's, yeah so this is this is alexander's first star wars credit um and i think people don't understand people who aren't science fiction fans don't quite understand that there isn't really a rivalry or exclusivity between star wars and star trek um we're both fans of both yeah you and i have talked about star trek a lot we're, we just like star wars more yeah, we're just. But I've seen just about every single episode of Star Trek and every movie. When it comes to nerdy stuff, you know, 
the real goal is escapism. <laughs> Life sucks. Reality sucks. We're we're never going to get past you know the asteroid belt. At least in our grandchildren's lifetime, anything that can take us out of the drudgery of normal non-spacefaring life, I like it. I don't care. I agree. I feel sorry for people who can't sit down and enjoy a star a Star Trek or a Star Wars because you need to unplug. You need to think that there's Klingons and Trandoshans and Mandalorians and Romulans out there. Like what? What does it matter? But I was, I was very excited when I heard, when I heard the senator talk. I had the same thing, and I'm like, oh, this has to be somebody I know because it was flipping too many switches in my brain. And then yeah. I was like, I think it's, I think it's Sedig. And then I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, it is, awesome. Yeah. But then I, when I was digging back into his background, he doesn't do that much voiceover work. He does some, but uh, this is his first Star Wars credit. So welcome to the family, Doctor Bashir. <laughs> Usually, you know, I'm uncultured American, so if I hear anything that resembles a British accent, I'm just like, oh, that person. But I can, you know, I very rarely can I separate out the them. But like, he was very distinct because I wasn't a huge Deep Space Nine fan, but I I recognized him pretty much right away. The and the uh, the other kind of main character, she sounded familiar, and I think I've seen or at least heard her in things uh, that she's done a lot of work. Oh, Captain Bragg? Uh, Captain Bragg, yeah. Yeah, so she is um, a Star Wars actress, or a Star Wars actor. Uh, her name is Shelby Young. I didn't put her on the notes, but she did a bunch of voices in um, Forces of Destiny. Yeah. She was Leia and Nisha in in that show, and a couple others, too. Um, she's a really cool actor, and Nisha. does do a lot of voice of the Ewok. You mean Nisa? Yeah, that's what I mean. Nisa. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you, you're so much better at remembering a lot of the stuff. I have to be super petty. <laughs> Any little thing. Yeah, Nisa. She, Actually. She plays, yeah, she plays the princess Nisa on Forces of Destiny and Princess Leia. So she's she's in a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm hoping we get to see her character again uh, in the future. So I hope I hope that character shows back up because I love Imperial officers. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. want to move on to the review? Do you yeah. Have anything else? Yeah, we can start. And first off, the the show opens up on the planet Raxus, which was the center of the the separatist movement, where a Captain Bragg is giving a speech saying that Raxus should be loyal to the Empire and they will protect them. Uh, an old man, Ave Singh, is the senator for the planet. He's debating what to do with his protocol droid GS-8. He does not want to endorse the Empire, but if he doesn't, he'll be jailed. What's interesting is Captain Bragg. I didn't realize that, you know, when I when I heard the name, it took me a little bit. I was like, oh, Bragg. Well, um, like Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg is named after a Confederate officer who is widely considered one of the worst generals in the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think it's because she's on the capital of their confederacy they named her after general bragg uh yeah and there's a um that's amazing <laughs> i i did a little research and there's that anecdote say, uh saying that a little more grape captain bragg so that, that was just it's something that they don't think that really ever happened but just it's a kind of a well-known anecdote i guess people who are big civil war uh, junkies. So just the fact that she was given the rank of Captain Bragg, just kind of is a nice little nod to history. Wait, there's there's a 
there's a historical joke saying that the general Bragg was a little bit more was little more than a captain. No, this is because he originally was in the in the army. He went to West Point, but when the Civil War broke out, he went to uh, he went to the uh, Confederacy. So this was like around like when he was actually a captain before he was promoted, and then before he went to the uh, to the Confederacy. Oh, okay. Which is got it. Uh, a lot of uh, army bases are named after uh, Civil War soldiers as a way of kind of reintegrating everybody, which is funny that uh, Fort Bragg is where Special Forces trains, you know, the best of the best of the best of the best, and he's considered, like, one of the worst <laughs> generals. So it's just very, you know, very bizarre. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why they decided, you know, Special Forces should... Um, be trained there but it's being named after somebody who's considered pretty awful is ironic yeah all right back to the uh, episode uh, bragg is talking about instituting a curfew on the planet and that is endorsed by the senator she invites the senator up to the podium to address the people before this the senator tells the droid if anything happens to him to follow his instructions ave singh gets up to talk and starts a speech but quickly abandons it to tell the people to resist the occupation of the empire the crowd starts to cheer bragg orders the clone troopers to arrest the senator and then she calls in the atte walkers to clear out the town square while the crowd disperses the droid sends a distress call so i just want to stop to talk about this initial sort of setup the establishing shot on raxus is gorgeous i think the way that this is shot tall podium or tall balcony looking down over this beautiful town square it really blows away the sort of animation we saw in the clone wars from establishing shots and things and then when the attes come in this might be my favorite vehicle I think these six-legged squat walkers that they use in Clone Wars and Bad Batch are just incredible from like a practical point of view. Yeah. And I loved how much ATTE we got in this episode. We're obviously going to talk about these later too, but it's this first shot when the three of them walk in. It's so cool. It makes you wonder why they went with the ATATs because these seem a lot more versatile. I, th- I think it was actually the, the Clone Wars movie where they actually could scale the walls. Oh, yeah, where they climb up to the monastery. Yeah. And, and they're, they're walking on the side of the cliff face, yeah. And at one point, like, one, like, gets hit and it almost falls off, except for it's got, a, like, two more legs and it's just, then it reattaches. And, and even in Rebels, when um, they were recruiting Captain, sorry, Captain Rex, and they ended up, like, fighting, like, an AT-AT, and it was just like a beetle just holding up a bigger bug. It was just really cool. So now we uh, cut to... Ord Mantell, the Bad Batch, is walking on the street. Omega wants to know when the next mission is, but Tech and Hunter think with the bounty hunters chasing them that they should lay low, which is funny because they're all still wearing their armor. But uh, Record disagrees. The group enters SIDS, and she tells them about a mission to go to Raxus to grab Ave Singh. The group is hesitant to help a separatist. Sid reminds them that they owe her money. Hunter says he can't take Omega to the planet with so many Imperials. Sid said she should stay with her. So this is this sort of establishes this whole they can't let go of the whole separatist thing. This is why I really think you picked a great quote because the Bonteries. So Raxus was first on the episode Heroes on Both Sides. That's the name of the episode, which is a quote from the crawl of Attack of the Clones, I think. Or maybe it's Revenge of the Sith. 
but that that phrase is in one of the crawls and it's about how some separatists actually do want to sue for peace and they don't want to be in this war and how they are they are good people who are sort of caught up in this sort of political situation that's like a false choice in between like a Republican and a Democrat sort of thing, or a North and a South sort of thing. Sometimes your geography really determines your political reality. Mm -hmm. And I really like them showing how prejudiced they are against these former enemies. Yeah, and everybody's still prejudiced against droids. Like, even through the, you know, the original trilogy, you know, explains why the, the bar in Tatooine, sorry, the cantina in Tatooine, that they don't like the droids in there. Everybody still has a very, they just don't like droids because of probably like all the horrors that they had to live through, through the Clone Wars, which wasn't really a thing back when the original trilogy came out, but it plays well to kind of this, uh, I'm going to say droidist mentality. Yeah, it's, rec- it's retconning, but it's good retconning, right? It makes sense. Could the bartender in the cantina's name were her? He he could have been injured in the Clone Wars. He's the right age, mm-hmm. right? He would have he could have grown up on a occupied planet. So sure, there's there's a lot of this hangover from the war, and this is a great illustration of how angry they are that their target is a separatist, a separatist leader. Mm-hmm. So Hunter tells Omega that she's staying with Sid. This uh, this is upsetting for Omega, but she takes the order from Hunter because Hunter explains that if she's part of the squad, she's a soldier and soldiers follow orders. Sid immediately decides child labor is okay and makes Omega clean the bar, which I can understand. She she doesn't want her there, but might as well make some use. Uh, get some use, you know. So yeah, it's a it's a funny moment, right? Because it's immediate. Like you're not going on the mission. Here's a sponge. Start cleaning yeah. up. You know, make it, the it's so it's a great moment, character moment for Sid because it's completely believable that she would do that. Yeah, you know, make the make the orphans uh, work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like little orphan Annie sort of stuff. It's the hard knock life for us. It's the hard knock life for us. Static we get says we get It's the hard knock life. Okay. So on the Havoc Marauder, Echo explains that he can't he can't believe that they're helping a separatist center. When they enter the atmosphere, they approach by security ships. Tech uses the codes and they are cleared. Echoes though is still expecting a double cross. The Bad Batch land in the woods outside the capital city and are met by the droid who's made the distressed call. The droid catches up with them on the plot so far. Beckett says Omega is not liking her new job as the janitor. Sid tries to cheer her up, but she gives Omega a lesson in self-esteem by telling her life isn't fair and to stop being a helpless loser. And maybe she might be useful enough to be included in future missions. Yeah, this is pretty harsh. Um, Once again, this is a great character moment for Sid because she's like a tough-as-nails, literally cold-blooded reptilian. And she, she really crushes Omega in this moment and basically calls her worthless. And and then is sort of shocked that Omega's upset by this. And then she tries to fix it, doesn't do a good job. Um, this is pretty bad parenting. Yeah, but you know, what do you expect from, uh, I guess, a, a go-between for mercenaries? Yeah, yeah. I'm saying it's it's consistent with her character, but it's just really rough. It's like you would hope you would hope that she would rise to the occasion. She's not even trying. Yeah. Well, I guess we're, we should be lucky that she's just not 
selling her off. She finds she finds a way. Spoiler alert! She finds a way to exploit Omega. Yes. So uh, then uh, back to Raxus. The Bad Batch are slowly making their way to the compound and is guarded by a bunch of clone troopers. Echo still thinks the droid is setting them up. Hunter refocuses the group and they chip away at the exterior guard using the droid as a distraction. The group gets inside the compound and Tech hacks the security system so they can access the camera feeds. Now I noticed that they were actually stunning everybody, not shooting them. They've shot Imperials in the past. They're only stunning them this time. Yeah, there's a lot of stunning happening in this episode. I don't think they, I don't think they kill anybody. Yeah, it's weird that they all of a sudden have maybe that they know more about the chips that they're just like, oh, these guys aren't dicks; they're just being controlled. So they decide not to kill them. Maybe that'll come in later. We, we don't know, but that works for my head. You know, explains everything. It was a it was a stark enough difference that I also noticed. I, I think it, I think it's intentional. It does feel like a choice. Mm-hmm. All right. So Tech and Hunter uh, with the droid go down into the compound. Wrecker and Echo go to the upper levels. During the mission, Hunter tells Tech to take Omega and to loop her around, not remembering that Omega isn't with them. Just like you and I saying, calling this show Clone Wars and not the Bad Batch. The droid. Yeah, I, I, I was curious if they're going to make anything of this moment. He's he's like you and Omega go around, and Tech's like. Uh, that's not possible. Omega's not here, and it's such a it's such like a weird thing. Except to, I guess it establishes that he misses. He assumes that she's there and misses her. Yeah, and that she's part of the group now. She's part of the Bad Batch. Right, and it's it's weird that it's weird to him that she's not there. Right. So I guess that's what it establishes, but it's a funny moment. Yeah, they use the droid again as a distraction. Hunter stuns two clones with a grenade and fires and fights a third, smashing some pottery. And the droid grabs a vase before it hits the floor, saying that it's very valuable. And this is very kind of droid humor that uh, Star Wars is kind of known for. Back at Sid's, Omega is watching Ketch and Sid play, uh, play Dejaric, and she's just talking with them. Omega helps Sid win the game, winning Sid some money from Ketch. Sid asks Omega if she wants to play for credits and cut Sid in, and they make a deal after a little haggling. It's a cute scene, but it's I don't know how to play Dejaric. Yeah, it, it just seems it seems very Calvin Ball. Yeah, it's I thought it was I thought it was supposed to be like a strategy game, but it's you know it looks more just like a uh, Street Fighter, you know. So I yeah a little bit. <laughs> so I don't really understand, but maybe somebody out there is trying to figure out the rules of how it's actually played. I'm sure somebody already has. I just don't know about it yet. I don't know when I was a kid. I I loved the game Battle Chess, which was like a animated chess game you could play on like a PC. And when you would capture a piece, there would be like a little animation that played like eight, showing our age. It was like an eight-bit animation of like a bishop stabbing a rook, and then the rook crumbling to the ground. And they called it Battle Chess, but the only difference in between it and real chess was these little animations that capture. Kind of like when you go bowling, and then if you get a strike, all of a sudden, like your bowling ball is a is a uh, nuclear missile going straight to the pins and blows the whole thing up. Exactly like that. Yes. All right. Wouldn't be a proper recording if I didn't somehow wedge bowling in. All right. So back on Raxus, Captain Bragg is interrogating Singh using a torture droid, um, one of those um, ITO units that sort of float around. 
Um, right before the interrogation droid attacks the senator with its little syringe, a smoke bomb goes off in the room, and all the Imperials are stunned. Um, the Bad Batch free the senator, and the droid, um, GS-8, that's still with them, points out how she saved his favorite vase from destruction. We're talking about the vase a lot, but it's actually a plot point. So an alarm goes off, uh, and they realize their operation has been compromised. Hunter says they have to get moving. Um, and a bunch of ATTE walkers are headed into the area. Hunter suggests that they should grab one of the tanks to get out of there. So Hunter and Tech zipline down to seize the tank. Uh, once the tank is under their control, Wrecker follows with the Senator and the droid. Um, Tech gets the tank going, and right when they're walking around the corner of the building, another ATTE fires on them, disabling the walker. Um, Tech says it'll take a few minutes to get it working again. Um, so previously, I was talking about how much I love the walkers, mm-hmm. and I think it's very cool that they take one. But it sort of reminded me of that Simpsons scene where they're very slowly getting away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where they steal the, the parade float, and uh, they're, they're very slowly getting away. They're being chased by other tanks, and so presumably they'll... They all have the same top speed, so it's not a terrible plan, mm-hmm. but they can shoot at each other, and it just doesn't seem like a wonderful way to get away. Yeah, it reminded me of, um, it was like an old Atari game where, or it might have been Atari, or I think there's just been multiple versions of the game where it's, you know, you play two two tanks, and you just go around in like a maze, try to, you know, hit the other tank. Right, I remember this game. I don't remember what it's called. Probably tank something, rather. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> anyway, it was a fine plan. It just, at the time, was like, oh, they're going so slow. Mm-hmm. Where are they going? So anyway, Wrecker and Hunter go outside to fight the horde of clones and the other ATTE while their tank is being re- repaired. Hunter stuns a bunch of clones while Wrecker um, re-aims the cannon. They're about to shoot the their tank and... Um, Wrecker pushes the cannon in such a way where it misses. They're being overrun. There's just way too many of them. And more walkers are showing up. Tech is surrounded while he's fixing the their tank. And the senator um, uses that vase to knock out one of the troopers, giving Tech enough time to stun his way out of there. Um, repairs are completed to the ATTE, and the Bad Batch are back inside running away. There's a great scene around this time where um, one of the ATTEs sort of crawls over a disabled one. Yeah, I was actually I was just gonna say that, but you, you mentioned it. it was I thought it was just great, just like a like a giant like predatory kind of like bug or a spider or something. Yeah, they, they really are all terrain if mm-hmm. they can crawl over a disabled vehicle, and I thought that scene was so cool. But, but the fact that it crawls over the disabled vehicle does give them a little bit of space in between the next tank and them. And so they're able to sort of make a couple turns to get away so they can't be easily shot at. While they're wa- running away, um, Singh tells them to go down an alley, even though it's a dead end. There's a nice little scene here exchange where the senator is basically telling them they have to trust him because he wants to get out of there too, and it's not a setup. And so they do have this moment of trust. They walk the ATTE up to the end of the alley and sort of turn it so it's facing the wall. 
They open up the door, they stick a detonator on the wall, and they blow a hole in it, revealing a secret tunnel. Everybody goes into the tunnel, and then Wrecker collapses it behind them. The tank is then shot at by the pursuing ATTE, and it's destroyed. But when the clones show up, they see no evidence that anybody was inside. Um, so now we're sort of getting to the end. Back in the forest, the Bad Batch and the Senator with the droid have now escaped. They're getting back toward the Havoc Marauder. And then the Senator has a momentary crisis of faith. He doesn't want to leave because he thinks it's running away, abandoning his people. Um, but the Bad Batch tell him that he needs to survive so he can live the fight another day. They all pile on the ship and take off. Um, now we cut back to SIDS, and Omega is cleaning up at the Jark. There's a huge crowd in there, and she's just going full Queen's Gambit on everyone, which I recommend everyone watch the Queen's Gambit if you haven't. Um, Sid tells Hunter, well, so Bad Batch shows up, and Sid tells Hunter that Omega's won so much money that they are no longer in debt to Sid. Um, Sid greets the senator and the droid, and they go back in the back to settle up for payment. Hunter asks Omega about the debt, and she, she said she wanted to be useful even if she can't go on missions. So Hunter and Omega make a bet that they'll play a game with the shark, and if she wins, she gets to go on missions again, and then fade to black, the end. Like the end of Rocky Three, where Rocky and uh, Apollo are about to just have a little go. And it just freezes right there. But uh, yeah, they didn't have they didn't have the courage to show us the actual game. <laughs> but uh, I'll go ahead and lead it off here. Um, let's we've not been following our usual format, but let's go ahead and go back to it this time because I don't have a whole lot to talk about. Um, did you like it? Um, I did. I wasn't one of my favorites. The the whole uh, like them being prejudiced against separatists didn't pay off as well as I had hoped, but um, I still enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I liked the idea of, you know, them having to get over their prejudices and, you know, like, you know, what, you know, seeing what happens to, um, you know, what happened to the, um, the separatist planets, you know, after the empire took over, it made me think more about like, just like overall, like the story, uh, story happening that, you know, there there were little things like the walker, but just the fact that just makes me think that like uh, Rampart and now Bragg, and just seeing like the other like Imperial officers that you see, um, and like in like the comics, is that they were people that are just they got no problem. You know, when the Republic turned into the Empire, they're just like whatever. You know, and they've got no problem with doing the dirty work which she seems she seems quite young mm-hmm. so so she might have you might be able to sort of promote people above their station for their loyalty do you know what i mean oh yeah you know it's basically oh you won't do it well there's going to be somebody young who will who's got less morals than you do and so she might have depends if she i guess she'd be an army captain um so it's you know this kind of a mid rank or uh not not super low but not super high or i guess at least i'm thinking of u.s military but there's people that have like no problem with just like okay we're gonna do some fucked up shit because who cares the fact that there everybody was just willing to go all fascist you know afterwards you know says i don't know says a lot about people 
Yeah, I, I think the only thing I told you about this episode before we recorded was it's a tone shift for me um, from the last few episodes. And I think I think what we were getting in the previous episodes is we were getting information sort of about Omega's situation. And I don't think we learned very much about our main cast this time. We sort of learned that they hate separatists, which we probably could have guessed. So we sort of learned that Omega's a, a Dejaric phenom, but we probably could have... Like, that's not that shocking. Um, they've, they've sort of played her as incredibly intelligent so far. And we had a little bit of character building, like team building through Hunter and Omega at the end, but we didn't really learn that much about our characters. We learned a little bit about Raxus, which is fun to go to a place we've been before and sort of see how the Empire is dealing with the old political situation. But like you said, their their solution is not tailor-made to any world. It's the same everywhere they go. And it's we're the empire. We're the only game in town. So you're gonna play. You're gonna play with us. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. I liked it. I liked the episode. It's not my favorite. There, there was. I, I thought was a pretty kind of like it, some. You know, like in a lot of these shows, there'll just be little things that are just kind of like you know, they didn't have to animate that, but you know they did. They went the extra step. It was that at the in, in the game? You know, at the the very uh, end when they. When they come back and seeing uh, Omega playing, I'm not sure the type of alien. He's blue, got like looks like like face tattoos. Like, he could have been a Pantoran or something like something in that area. Yeah, I was thinking Pantoran, but I thought they looked a little bit different. Either way, that that uh, one of the one of the regulars. One of Sid's regulars, just like everybody's, just you know, crowding around like whoa, the game, and he puts his. He puts his hand on the guy's shoulder, like he's looking, like watching. And the guy who's playing just looks at him, like, "Get your fucking hand off me!" And he's just like, "Oh, right." <laughs> just you know, just how it, you know, how that sort of thing would happen <laughs> in a uh, like in, in a game, you know, in a game like that, where you know everybody would be crowding around the player, and the player is just like, "Leave me alone! Don't touch! Don't touch me!" I thought that was a very nice little detail. I I really appreciate little things like that. Yeah, I really I really liked that scene. Um, there's a couple things that I really enjoyed. Um, that first big opening courtyard scene, you get a lot of crowd shots in there. And one of the crowd shots, you see Bith, you see like a hammerhead and some Rodians. You see a dozen different aliens in that crowd shot. And it's not, it's very tempting in a cartoon when you have a big group of people to sort of have like an algorithm that just spills in the crowd mm-hmm. and it didn't look like that at all yeah i have to say that like and i got a very uh tiananmen square vibe from the beginning where uh, you know that um all of a sudden you know just tanks show up and it's just like oh they're not fucking around yeah there was there was a when there's a shot where it shows like a profile like a straight on profile of one of the tanks walking into the square and i thought of that time photo of the guy standing in front of the column of tanks Mm -hmm. outside of tianmen preventing them from going in and i was great call like that was some pretty scary stuff in the beginning and i couldn't tell 
because it wasn't clear from the first shot if, if the crowd was actually dispersing or not. But w- when you go down to the droid and she makes the distress call, you can see that the crowd is pretty panicked and they're running mm-hmm. around everywhere. Um, so I love that scene. And then the scene at the end with the crowded bar, there's like a godel in there screaming. She's doing it. She's unstoppable. And then there's like the, like you said, the regulars who touch the Pantoran shoulder and the Pantoran gives him like this fuck off look. It's, it's very good crowd work. And I joked that it was, that Sib was going to find a way to exploit um, Omega later in the episode. And it is exploitation, but it's harmless exploitation really to make her gamble, I guess. That's something that she can't lose at. It's sort of sending the wrong message to a child to do that sort of engage in that sort of activity, but it's fine. It's it's played for laps mostly, so um, and it gets them out of debt. So apparently she won a lot of money. <laughs> and if there's a lot of money in competitive the shark in their universe, so good for her. Yeah, she you know she didn't have like the aviator sunglasses on and the the hat that's. Uh advertising some uh some, some, some sort website. of some poker website yeah <laughs> <laughs> or sorry it would be sabakwa website <laughs> she, she's she's got uh yeah competitive sabak or some casino online um okay so like i said i don't have a whole lot to talk about um i like the separatist prejudice thing but they still put a lot of it off camera like i guess i guess that's what i'm missing in the episode if you're going to have the show be about how um, entrenched they are in their belief structure, show me. Right. Right. Don't don't have a line where you cut back to the cockpit and Echo's like, I can't believe we're helping a separatist. And then Tex says, you keep saying that. Show, show them wrestling with this idea more rather than sometimes they think they're being set up, but not all of them. And they're going to do it anyway. Like, make it make them be in a situation where it actually is life and death where they have to believe the guy. And I guess they were in that situation, but they mostly did it off camera again. Yeah. It didn't, I don't know. It didn't really feel, you know, there wasn't the payoff that I was looking for as much as, you know, I was hoping that, uh, yeah, maybe I guess if like echo, echo seemed to be the one who had the most reservations, you know, uh, about, um, you know, helping a separatist. If, if he was just kind of like, okay, you're all, you're all right, you know, for a separate, you know, maybe, you know, like if he had like a eighties cartoon moment where he's like, well, you know, maybe you're not all bad, you know, maybe the separatists weren't. So, you know, you, you guys were just, you know, you guys have just been screwed over just as badly as everybody else. Right. That's, that's the piece that's missing. The piece that's missing is, Echo or Hunter having the realization that this is just a person that needs help mm-hmm. and that their history and the background doesn't matter as much as what's happening right, right now. Yeah. Exa- and what's happening right, right now is they have to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, exactly. So I guess now we'll just get to our review. Our review is using Star Wars characters. So instead of like a one to 10, we go from uh, like a 10 for us would be an original trilogy character or just a very important character. So like a Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Chewbacca, uh, etc. 
a really bad character would be man i do this every time what's a really bad um loser character um, salacious crumb salacious crumb or that jedi that gets like uh the battle geonosis he, like he he comes right in front of you know like the uh, like count dooku and then jango fett just shoots him he's just like coleman trebor <laughs> He's just like, I'm here, shit, and then he's dead. It's like, okay. You That's the tell. dinosaur one? Yeah, I was like, you tell, he just got really lucky. He, sh- he should never have been up there. Yeah, that was Col- Coleman Trebor. Okay. So, Matt, what do you what do you rank this episode? Yeah, like I said, I, I liked it. It was a fine episode. It was beautiful, and I just didn't really connect with the story that much, and I thought, I thought there was a couple of missed opportunities. But overall, pretty good. So I think I'll give it a Visago. Visago, the um, the sometimes partner of Hondo. Yeah, the Deveronian smuggler on Rebels. Ah. Who partners with Hondo, and Lando. Interesting. Okay, I haven't actually thought about that character in a while. Cause I maybe I need to rewatch uh, Rebels. He's not he's not an important character, but he pops up from time to time. He has something to say, and then he disappears for another season. It's perfectly fine. It adds a lot of depth to the to their world, but it's ultimately you can probably take it or leave it. His character, yeah. Um, how would you rate it? Uh, I think I'd give a Senestaros. Some interesting aspects, but like like you said, like if that character were to just disappear, it wouldn't really affect my love of Star Wars at all. You know. Senna Staros, for those of you who don't know, is uh, she's in the comics and the books. Uh, she was uh, she's actually Han Solo's ex-wife. Um, they were married for a con. Uh, she's sometimes romantic interest of Doctor Afra. She's just a general like scoundrel. She's also part of the Rebel Alliance. Yeah, she's she's a decent character. Um, she's one of those characters that unfortunately is relegated to the comics. And is in the supporting cast of a bunch of more important characters. Mm-hmm. She gets some attention for being sort of an LGBTQ character, but only in the context of being a partial romantic interest of Afra. It's a character that I think they could probably do a lot more with. Once again, the episode they could have done a lot more with the episode. Yeah, and so I agree with your pick. Okay, I like Son- I like Staros, and I think it's a good pick. All right, so. I guess we'll uh, we'll end it there. So thank you for listening. Be sure to uh, tell a friend about the podcast uh, if you enjoyed it. Um, if you didn't, well, why don't you tell somebody you really don't like, like yet your stupid uncle or whoever, uh, that uh, there's some nerds that he can do some uh, hate listening to because it's still very much a jock versus nerd world. So I guess we will be back next week with another episode of The Bad Bash where we will be discussing episode 11. Any last words, Matt? Um, Just that episode 11 is called um, Devil's Deal. So I was completely wrong about what this one would be, so I probably – I'm not going to guess what it's about because every time I guess on anything Star Wars, I've just shown to be completely wrong. I should start a YouTube channel. downloading and listening to this episode we would also like to thank jordan white for the use of his cover of yub as our intro and outro music 
Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewa, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We will see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Oh, 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 oh,